Hello, this is Miss Bagdanov with her podcast, Teacher Talk, where I discuss all things Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. This is for my English 9 spring remote learning class, where we are learning, reading, discussing, talking all things Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, even while being socially distant. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy my podcast. Each week, we will go through an act. Enjoy. Okay, act one, scene one, Miss B's thoughts on some of the lines of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. So take note that the very beginning of the play, after the prologue, begins with a fight. So the play begins already in a state of chaos, tension, violence. Even though Samson and Gregory are joking and they kind of make some sexual jokes back and forth at each other, they quickly turn their humor into serious violence when Tybalt shows up because Tybalt is a Capulet. Um, so it's just kind of interesting that Shakespeare decides to start Romeo and Juliet off in a place of tension. Uh, so take note of how it begins and then we'll see how it ends. Um, we already know they die, but how the actual last scene of the play is because they might bookend each other. The prince comes in and he says, if you ever disturb our streets again, your lives shall pay the forfeit of the peace. Meaning, if anyone decides to keep killing one another or fighting, you will die. Which is kind of ironic because he's asking them not to kill each other and yet the punishment if they do kill each other is killing someone. So that's also kind of interesting. However, it moves on to talking with Lady Montague who is, and Lord Montague, which are Romeo's parents. And then Benvolio, uh, Romeo's cousin and good friend. The mom and dad of Romeo, the Lord and Lady Montague, they're talking to Benvolio and they're wondering, where's Romeo? Saw you him today? Right glad I am he was not at this fray. She's glad that he was not at the fight because she knew he probably would have joined in. But then the dad continues to explain to him how Romeo's showing signs of not being very happy. He ha- he says, many a morning hath he there been seen with tears augmenting the fresh morning's dew, adding to clouds, more clouds with his deep sighs. He shuts up his windows, locks fair daylight out and makes himself an artificial night, meaning like. He's acting like it's nighttime all the time, even in the daytime. So he's really depressed. Benvolio confirms it and lets the parents know it's because of a girl. Then Romeo jumps into the picture and he talks to Benvolio. His parents leave, so it's just him and Benvolio chatting it up. And Benvolio's like, tell me more about why you're so sad about this girl. 
And Romeo starts saying all these things about love. He says, love is a smoke made with the fume of sighs, being purged, a fire sparkling in lovers' eyes, being vexed, a sea nourished with loving tears. What is it else? A madness most discreet, a choking gall and a preserving sweet. So he basically has all these um, things that he says about love that are the opposite of one another. It is confusing and yet also healing and nourishing. It is something that you hate to eat, but you it's also really sweet, a choking gall and a preserving sweet. Um so he says all these opposite things about love, how it can be one thing and that it can also be this thing, which is very true of love at times. And we come to learn when he talks with Benvolio is that the woman, and we learn her name later, her name's Rosalind, is actually choosing not to get married. She has refused to uh, become married and have children, aka she's choosing to become a nun. Benvolio asks Romeo, then she hath sworn that she will live chaste. Chaste means not to have any sexual relationship with anyone. Romeo responds, she hath. And in that sparing makes huge waste, for beauty starved with her severity cuts beauty off from all posterity. She is too fair, too wise, wisely too fair to merit bliss by making me despair. She hath forsworn to love, and in that vow do I live dead that live to tell it now. Oh, my word. Romeo is so dramatic. He's basically saying that, like, this is making him feel dead. Okay? He's like, it feels deadly to live without, with the knowledge that she's going to be chaste. That she's going to be a nun. He also says that, like, it's terrible that she's choosing to be chaste because it means that she's not going to become beautiful anymore. She's too beautiful to do that to herself. So therefore, she's going to lose her beauty. Pretty harsh words. But the last thing I want to focus on with scene one is right after this, Benvolio is, says, be ruled by me. Forget to think of her. Romeo responds, oh, teach me how I should forget to think. Benvolio, by giving liberty unto thine eyes, examine other beauties. This is a really interesting part in the play because Benvolio is trying to encourage Romeo to essentially say, get over her, give freedom into looking, checking out other girls, examine other beauties, go check out other girls. There's other beautiful women on the planet that you can go see, aka there's other fish in the sea, dude. So Benvolio is the one who influences Romeo to essentially go check other people out. They know that there's a party coming up that night at the Capulet house. And so that's what he, what they're going to do is basically crash the party. And Benvolio is going to say, Romeo, go check some other girls out. You never know. And we already know that like this is how he's going to fall in love with Juliet. So what I think is significant here in scene one is that Benvolio is one of the main influencers of Romeo's actions. 
The parents don't really seem to like have a lot of influence over him at this point because they can't really figure out why Romeo is so sad in the first place. So they kind of are portrayed as people who are not really involved in his life. All right, that's act one, scene one, Miss B's thoughts. Act one, scene two, Miss B's thoughts. It enters with Lord Capulet and Paris talking. Paris is the most eligible bachelor in Verona at this time. And Lord Capulet, who is Juliet's father, is talking with him. And Paris is essentially asking to marry, date, really, um, Juliet. And Capulet says to Paris that she is yet a stranger in the world and she hath not seen the change of 14 years. Let two more summers wither in her pride, ere we may think her ripe to be a bride. So he's saying like she's almost 14. She let two more summers, let two more years go by and then you can marry her. Um, But Lord Capulet then says, you can woo her, gentle Paris, get her heart. My will to her consent is but a part, and she agree within her scope of choice lies my consent, fair according voice. So essentially he's saying like, make sure she chooses you, and I'll, I'll allow her to choose who she marries, but make sure it's you. Um, which is kind of interesting that the father is basically like kind of controlling who she marries, but is going to make it seem like he doesn't. Um, even though he says like, wait for two more years until you can actually ask for her hand in marriage. Okay. So that's a little scene. Serving man of Capulet comes along, talks to Benvolio and Romeo. Basically they find out that there's a party going on at the Capulet's house. And Benvolio hears from the serving man that Rosalyn will be there. And this is when Romeo responds in a really interesting way. Because at the beginning, remember, he was super sad and depressed and gloomy because Rosalyn, like, has chosen not to marry. And Benvolio says, compare her face with some that I shall show and I will make thee think thy swan a crow. Again, confirming what he already said earlier with examining other beauties. Romeo then responds, When the devout religion of mine eye maintains such falsehood, then turns tears to fire, and these who often drown could never die. Transparent heretics be burnt for liars. One fairer than my love? Rosalind. The all-seen sun never saw her match since the first world begun. Okay, you guys, he's comparing her to the sun. There's no one more beautiful than Rosalind. This is going to be really interesting because who do you think he's going to call the sun? Juliet, later on. So Romeo is being very exaggerating in his thoughts towards Rosalind, how much he feels like he can't be swayed to look at anyone else. But he does agree at the end. Scene two ends with Romeo saying, I'll go along, no such sight to be shown, but to rejoice in splendor of mine own. I'll just go to make you happy. All right, get off my back. That's how scene two ends. 
Okay, scene three. We meet some new characters, um, Juliet's mom and the nurse. One thing I want to say about the nurse, the nurse is really like Juliet's mom. She's the one who actually raised her, weaned her. That's the why the nurse is going on about um, kind of reminiscing about Juliet's childhood for so long. And then the nurse hears from the mom, Lady Capulet, about how there's someone who is interested in her. And the nurse goes on to this whole reminiscing, reminiscing about her childhood. And then the nurse kind of makes some jokes about her having her first night with her husband. Um, the nurse is like really excited to see her Juliet get married one day. And you see that the nurse is the one who really knows Juliet and cares for her. Whereas her real mom, Lady Capulet, says after the nurse reminisces, enough of this, I pray thee, hold thy peace. The mom is kind of like, let's get to the point. I want to make sure my daughter is the one who gets married to Paris. Um, and so then the mom, Lady Capulet, talks to Juliet and she asks, how stands your disposition to be married? Juliet, it is an honor that I dream not of. Nurse, in honor, were not I thine only nurse, I would say thou had sucked wisdom from thy teat. She says, oh, I've raised you so well to have you think of marriage this way. And so then Lady Capulet says, Juliet, Paris seeks you for his love. And essentially, Lady Capulet is... What say you? Can you love the gentleman? This night you shall behold him at our feast. Read or the volume of young Paris's face and find delight writ there with beauty's pen. Essentially, check this dude out. He has everything going for him. He's beautiful. He's wealthy. He's smart. Like, this is the guy that you should definitely marry. So the mom is trying to meddle herself in Juliet's love situation and tell him tell her who she should marry and the nurse kind of makes some sexual jokes if you get them great if you don't you're missing out it's kind of funny Juliet says okay mom I'll look to like if lo looking liking move but no more deep will I dart mine eye than your consent gives strength to make it fly essentially saying okay mom I will do the bare minimum of looking at him, but I'm not going to do anything more unless something else happens. Scene three is interesting because we just come off of Romeo being persuaded by Benvolio to go to the party. And in this scene, who is persuading Juliet the most? Her Lady Capulet, her mom, and the nurse. So both Romeo and Juliet are being persuaded by other people to do something they're maybe not fully ready for. Juliet says that she's not quite ready for marriage right now. She's not in that headspace yet, but yet the mom is like encouraging her to do so. Um, so kind of an interesting parallel in how Shakespeare structures the beginning scenes with Romeo and Juliet when they're first introduced is these characters that maybe are not fully willing yet to go to this party or look on this person, but yet are being told that they should otherwise. Mm -hmm.
Scene four, we meet Romeo's other friend, Mercutio, who's also going to attend the party with Romeo and Benvolio. Romeo's feeling kind of heavy and concerned about going to the party. He's not that interested. He's like, this isn't a great idea. Mercutio and Benvolio try to urge him to essentially like cheer up and go to the party. This scene is a little bit PG-13 in the sense that Mercutio makes some jokes about Romeo getting over his depression of Rosalind. He's basically saying, like, dude, you just got to go out and, like, have a lot of sex to make you feel better, okay? When he's like, if love be rough with you, be rough with love. Prick love for pricking and you beat love down. Um reason why that's important is Mercutio is the one who uses a lot of humor to get what he wants and to influence other people. So we see this a lot in today's world too, that a lot of people speak truth using humor as a way to kind of maybe say something that might not be appropriate or empathizing or sympathizing. Mercutio does that. Um, as a way to kind of like maybe cover the fact that it's really hard to deal with the grief that someone has chosen not to love you. Um, So Mercutio uses humor a lot in the play to kind of cover that up. Um, Or at least that's my interpretation of it. Uh, So then Romeo tells Mercutio, I dreamt a dream tonight, Mercutio. And so did I, Romeo. Well, what was yours, Mercutio, that dreamers often lie? Romeo, in bed asleep while they do dream things true. They're making a pun about the fact that when you dream, dreams are not really that true. Like, they're just made up. They're just your subconscious. They're just nonsense. Then Romeo makes a joke about, well, yeah, because you lie down when you're asleep and you dream. Ha ha. Really good pun. Then Mercutio goes in this long speech about this mythological creature named queen mab i don't really get all of it in the sense of like where the roots are of it but essentially it's about this story about this um fairy lady who supposedly like comes over you while you're sleeping and like affects you in your dreams and like makes you do things in real life if you dream about them Romeo gets frustrated, so he, like, interrupts Mercutio halfway through, and he says, stop talking, you're talking of nothing, dreams don't really mean anything, and then Mercutio spins it on his head, and he's like, yeah, I do talk of dreams of nothing, but who knows, who knows if they do or not, so then Romeo is kind of fearful after that he's like I don't feel good about going to this party I fear too early for my mind misgives some consequence yet hanging in the stars yet shall bitterly begin his fearful date with this night's revels and expire the term of a despised life closed in my breast by some vile forfeit of untimely death so he's like thinking something bad is gonna happen if I go to this party I don't know what to do, but Benvolio and Mercutio encourage him to keep going, and Romeo decides to go. Um, 
What's interesting is Mercutio and Benvolio seem to have a lot of sway over him. However, what's noteworthy also is that Romeo is expressing his feelings he's having about not wanting to go and how this doesn't feel good that he should be going in this way. Because remember, it's a Capulet party, not a Montague party. So they're technically crashing. Um, what we already know, dramatic irony, is that he does meet Juliet. So, and we know they die. So the fact that he's even mentioning right now that he is talking about death is particularly interesting. That he fears that something bad will happen if he comes. And lo and behold, we know that eventually his death does happen. All right, that's scene four. Scene five. We're finally at the party, y'all. Okay, so Capulet begins the party, lots of drinking, lots of dancing. Romeo, all of a sudden, sees Juliet from across the way, and he asks one of the servants, what lady is that which doth enrich the hand of yonder, yonder knight? She's dancing with some other person. And he's like, who is that? Romeo then immediately says, oh, she doth teaches the torches to burn bright. A.K.A. she's like fire. She's like a light in darkness. She is illuminating the whole party. Goes on to speak about her beauty. He then says, did my heart love till now? Rhetorical question. Forswear its sight, for I never saw true beauty until this night. Okay, y'all. He literally just said a few hours prior that he had never seen anyone more beautiful than Rosalind. And lo and behold, all he has to do is look upon Juliet and he's totally like forsaking all of the things he said just earlier about Rosalind and how beautiful she is and how she was the sun. And now he's essentially saying all the same things and more about Juliet. I want to take note at this point in the play that there's a motif, which is a pattern, um, a recurring idea or image that pops up in throughout a play or a book. And the contrast of light versus dark is showing up already in earlier than this, but really a lot in this scene um, when he compares Juliet to a lamp. And um, I think he even says the sun later on. Tybalt sees this interaction. He actually hears Romeo's voice and he's like, remember, they're masked because it's a masquerade ball. And he's like, oh my gosh, that is a, that's a Montague, Montague. fetch me my rapier boy, aka my sword. I'm going to kill this guy right now. He's not allowed to be here. Lord Capulet, Julia's dad is like, what is your deal? Wherefore storm you so? Tybalt says, Uncle, this is a Montague, our foe, a villain that is hither come in spite to scorn at our solemnity this night, a.k.a. you're not invited. Like, why is he here? Lord Capulet basically tells Tybalt to cool his jets and to, like, calm down because Cap Lord Capulet, all he cares about is his image. And so he doesn't want to have a fight break out at his party because that will look really bad. Something that I forgot to mention earlier is both the Montagues and the Capulets, the parents, are 
a lot of the text lends itself to have us understand that they just really care about their appearance to society, which is why um, I think the Capulets want Juliet to eventually marry Paris and why Lord Capulet probably is like, doesn't want to have a fight break out um, in, at his own party because that would just be bad for image. So that's something that is quite interesting to take note of with the parents and how they act in the play. Um, that's pretty consistent throughout. Okay, so Tybalt doesn't kill him right away. He's like, I will withdraw, but this intrusion shall now seeming sweet convert to bitter, bitter gall. A.K.A. I'm going to come back to this. Romeo's not going to get away with this. Like, I'm going to come back and, and show him that what he did was wrong. Okay, back to Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet have their first words with each other. To us in 2020, this seems like the least romantic way of trying to uh, have like a pickup line. This is so not what we would think, but at the time, this would have been super sexy. Romeo calls himself a pilgrim. Well, his lips rather which is um, someone who goes on a religious like journey to try and find salvation and compares Juliet to the saint, so the person that would help that pilgrim get to their religious uh, salvation. So they basically go back and forth with talking about their hands and prayer, and really it's one giant metaphor of, them just saying like let's make out let's kiss and they finally do because they say what do what do priests do when they pray they put their hands together let's let our lips do what our hands do they kiss Romeo then or Juliet then says um sorry Romeo then says my sin is purged Juliet then have my lips the sin that they took Romeo, sin from my lips? Oh, trespass sweetly urged. Give me my sin again. Romeo says like, oh, you took away my sin because you kissed me. Juliet goes, well, then now you gave me the sin that you just took because they kissed. And Romeo is saying, sin from my lips? Oh, give me my sin again. AK, they're just going back and forth being like, okay, kiss me again. Like, I want to be kissed again. Hello, hello. I want to be kissed again. And... Then the nurse comes up and Juliet is, the nurse says, Madam, your mother craves a word with you. Juliet stands aside. This is when she finds out, oh my gosh, I just kissed a Montague. Holy cow. Later on, Juliet's like, go ask his name. If he be married, my grave is like to be my wedding bed. Okay, y'all, death is coming up again. Another motif, obviously. We know that to be true. Like, we know that she's going to die. So the dramatic irony is so rich here that she will end up dying. We don't necessarily know how yet, the journey how, but we know that, like, she will die. So the fact that she's mentioning that just having met Romeo is just more solidifying that she's doomed to die um, from the outset of meeting Romeo. 
She also says, my only love sprung from my only hate, too early seen unknown and known too late. Prodigious birth of love it is to me that I must love a loathed enemy. Such good words. These are really famous lines because she's basically remarking, just like Romeo, that this is the only love in her life. You guys, I don't even know how long they really made out and kissed. Like, not very long based on the other people's actions in the play. They were at the party. They didn't, like, go away. So they're literally speaking to one another as if, like, there's they're the only people in the world for one another. Juliet's making the comment that if she would have known who he was, then maybe she wouldn't have, like, thought this way. Again, Shakespeare's bringing up all these points of, like, is love possible at first sight? Is it not? Here... He's definitely making it seem like they're destined to be for one another. But the question really is, you know, how much of Romeo and Juliet really are in charge of that? Like, they see each other, they love each other all of a sudden. Is it real? Is it fake? Um, that's kind of like what us as the audience has to grapple with. I want to remind us that, like, the nurse and the mom were the ones who encouraged Juliet to go and look upon Paris, but instead she sees Romeo. Again, Romeo was influenced by Benvolio Mercutio to go. He's the one that sees Juliet. Um, you know, so do they have a moment of, like, really being into each other, seeing each other for the first time? Seems like it. Uh... But, you know, do they have a choice in how much they want to and how much they um, love each other, like, acting on that? So that's kind of the question you have to ask yourself. The nurse is, like, really shocked that she would even say that about a Capulet, uh, Montague, because um, she's still wanting to love Romeo, even though she's bummed he's a Montague. So, are they meant for each other or are they not? You kind of have to decide at the end of this. We'll see what happens in Act 2. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week on Teacher Talk. This is Ms. Pagdon. Out. Yay!